Today is the first Sunday of Advent, and Advent is a season of anticipation. The season of Advent, we anticipate the coming of the Lord. We anticipate his birth and his coming again. As we prepare for the celebration of Christ's birth, we we buy things, we cook things, we sing songs, we travel, we give. We make ready in all of those ways. Concerning his coming again, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. All is mystery. And the most mysterious part of all for many of us is his coming again. The images of Christ coming again are given to us in apocalyptic images. The language is coded, highly symbolic, very different from the descriptions, any other descriptions of reality. And so given this mysterious nature of the apocalyptic language and of these visions of Christ coming again, given how mysterious it is, we in the church tend to go toward one of two extremes as we relate to this. Some of us go to great lengths to decipher the code, to remove the mystery. We try to interpret the apocalyptic symbolism in light of contemporary events. We propose timelines and formulas and sometimes even dates for the Lord's coming again. The thing is, so far, none of those calculations have proven correct. But we are not deterred. We keep trying to predict how and when and where it will occur. And our determination is rooted in determinism. For those of us who think in these ways, believe that God has predestined a certain sequence of events that must occur when Christ returns. And we believe that God has revealed enough information about the cosmic countdown to get us at least in the ballpark of being able to predict how, when, and where it will happen. And so that's one approach. And you've seen that and you see that. I remember when I was first going into the ministry, there was the late great planet Earth. Anybody remember that one? More recently, it's been the Left Behind books. And all the TV preachers and all the rest. And on the other end of this spectrum are those of us who are so perplexed by apocalyptic writings that we choose to overlook them for the most part. We declare that Christ will come again and we leave it at that. It is for many of us a vague, distant promise, an eventuality like the sun burning out. We say it on Sundays, but otherwise we hardly ever think about it. And yet here is Jesus in the gospel lesson speaking of his coming again. His words are very forceful though shrouded in apocalyptic images. And the first Christians believed this fervently. They expected Jesus to return in their lifetime. And they prayed for that and they lived for that. They were Advent people. And so all of these years later, it hasn't happened. 
And after all of the efforts to unravel the mystery, all of the failed predictions, what does this really mean? What does it say to us? What difference does it make? I would offer these possibilities. First of all, these words of Jesus remind us that God works in, through, and beyond the course of human events. God works in, through, and beyond our lives and our choices. Now, let me be clear here. We don't have to subscribe to the idea that God has a fixed, unalterable master plan to believe this. We don't have to believe in predestination in order to believe in providence. We just have to know that God is at work in all things. God is at work in every bit of our life. How God orders life, how God orders history remains a mystery. But to say that Christ will come again is to say that there is a point to all of this. And Jesus is the point. He is the omega point. In the end that is surely coming, Christ is the one in whom, for whom, to whom all will be gathered. And he will judge the quick and the dead, the living and the dead. And that means that the present form of things is not the final form of things. To say that Christ will come again is to say that change is our way of life. In today's text, Jesus' words are prompted by the disciples' observation about the size, the splendor, the impregnability of the Jerusalem temple. When these disciples saw that grand building, they saw stability, they saw permanence, they saw security. And Jesus began to talk about the end of things and his coming again, and he began to say that by saying to them, not one stone will be left upon another. Everything will be torn down. And this is, of course, the most unsettling aspect of apocalyptic utterances. This upheaval, this turning over of the very order of things. Yet this is the way it is. At one point, the Apostle Paul describes it as the birth pangs of creation. It is as if the whole cosmos is in labor, straining with great anguish and also with great hope towards the birth of a new order. And as followers of Christ, we embody this restlessness, we embody this tumultuousness in ourselves and in our church. We dare not get stuck in old familiar ways of living. New every morning is your love, great God of light, and all day long you are working for good in the world. So stir up in us desire to serve you, we pray. We are not standing still. We are always on the move. We do not stay the same. We are ever moving on 
And sometimes the change that is required of us is hard. If it is of Christ, it is apt to be hard. But it is also, in the end, very, very good. And as much as Christ is the end of history and of life, and as much as change is the stuff of life and of history, it is inevitable, we are called to embrace the whole of it. And here is a paradox. Here is a mystery of our faith. Christ will come again, and in his coming all things will be made new. The old is already passing away. We are not yet what we shall be. Even so, our anticipation of the yet-to-be is not passive. We do not live in some suspended state of waiting for the yet-to-be. We take hold of the present age. We take hold of it knowing that as surely as Christ will come to us from the future, he has come to us from the past, and he is with us in this present moment. We cannot know the time of his coming again. It does no good to speculate. Our work is to do now, in this world, the things that will prepare for the world that is to come. Jesus says that we are like slaves whom the master puts in charge of the household. That is the image of stewardship. That's what a steward is. A steward is a household manager. That's the image in the original language. Someone who cares for the affairs, the property of someone else. And we are stewards of this mystery. God has put us in charge of some things. And we are to care for them until Christ comes again. We are stewards of all that is before us. The world may shake before our very eyes, but we find life in letting go of our anxieties, in doing the will of the one who loves us, who's called us, the one who believes in us no matter what. And so in these days, as we go about our preparations for Christmas, and generosity is awakened by this preparation, and we do the things we do for others, I would have us pause in the midst of doing that and remember that what we are doing for others is the very stuff of the kingdom. It is the very essence of what is to be. And we are being made ready for his coming as we attend to those in need around us in the here and now. And it is a holy work, a sacred task, and the life of Christ is present in and through and beyond all that we do in his name. And so I pray that we will be faithful in the small things.
aware always that they lead to much greater things. That we are nimble, flexible, able to change as God gives us the grace and leads us toward his coming again. May it be so in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.